Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi, my name is Candace King, and welcome to a Super Bloom podcast. Today, my guest is a dear friend of mine. Her name is Alessandra Torresani. Alessandra is a multi hyphenate actress, host, creator, and mental health advocate. She is dedicated to destigmatizing mental health by spreading kindness, compassion, and hope. She brings tons of fun and laughter to her mission with sharing her story about living with bipolar one disorder on her podcast, Emotional Support. She is a new mom to a nine-week-old daughter. I'm so grateful to Alessandra for joining me today to share in her experience of having bipolar one disorder and also what it meant for her first pregnancy and having her daughter. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Alessandra Torresani. I love that we were just talking about how the, like the benefits and then the drawbacks of being an open book in today's world, like how free it feels. But then at the same time, you're like, wow, that's just going to live out there forever. And especially when like that's been my issue for the longest time is having children and being like, oh, no, they can oh, they will they see, see all of this. Yeah, yes. they will see like all the messy parts of my journey. And now that you have a child in the world, are you starting to kind of like think about that a little bit? Like, are you thinking it's about this so like freedom? Weird. No, I, you know, I guess for me, I've always been kind of an in quote unquote open book and been a little out there, we'll say a little outrageous, a little shock value. Like, you know, I mean, my podcast is a, a mix of Howard Stern meets, you know, mental health. So, I mean, it's not <laughs> for the faint of heart. Um, but what I will say, the one thing that I've learned 
or maybe not even that I've learned that I've been more cautious of since having a baby is, do I post a picture of her? Do I not? Is she going to be mad if I don't? Is she going to be mad if I do? You know, things like that, I think I've been way more aware of. And I've also been very protected, uh, protected over protectant over her. Sorry, see, that's the mom brain going of what what (laughs) word do I use? Protectant over her, especially the first time was um, People Magazine had done an announcement of, of the first picture and what her name was and everything. And I had seen someone posted a comment and they were like, wow, that kid's going to get made fun of for her name her entire like school year. And wow, what a joke and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, Mama Bear is coming out right now. <laughs> and then I literally was the first time where I didn't engage with trolls. I was like, you know what? It's not worth it. She's never going to see this. and also she's the coolest. So what does it matter? You know, but that was the first time where I was like, oh my God, maybe I shouldn't be posting her picture. Maybe I shouldn't be sharing things. Like, is she going to regret this when she's older? You know, and I, how do you do that? I mean, not to turn it on you, but like, did you ever feel, I guess you feel more vulnerable, right? In that kind of situation. Yeah. And at the time when Florence was born, I was also still on the Vampire Diaries. So I just always felt a little uh, over anxious as far as like I'd gotten pregnancy pictures taken and a friend of mine had taken them and they were beautiful. And um, and then when I posted that she had done it, someone hacked into her account. And that doesn't happen very often. Like I've not really had an issue with that. It was more exactly (laughs) what you're saying when it came to like my little baby that I brought into this world. So I spent a year where I didn't show her face. And then eventually I showed her face. And then eventually you see everyone else posting like cute family stuff and you want to be a part of it. But it is we're kind of this weird Truman Show guinea pig generation of just documenting not only our entire lives, but documenting our children's lives lives essentially from in utero. I mean, how many yes. times have you seen full on like videos or photo diaries of like, like, yes, like little five week, you know, embryo in yeah. uterus? Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, I kept my pregnancy a total secret from even friends and family. I mean, we didn't tell my husband's parents till I was maybe four months or five months because we were so nervous. Um, Miscarriages ran in our family. Um, I live with bipolar disorder and I had gotten off my medication uh, four months before we had started to try to have a baby because I had been told for the entire time I was on medication, which was 13 years, that you can't be on the medicine. It will kill your baby. Like your baby will die a gruesome death. It was like, ooh, like all this very heavy stuff. So I was so cautious about announcing any sort of pregnancy because every day I was holding my breath. I'm also a very superstitious person. So I didn't, I I know that sounds crazy, but I've talked about it before where I was convinced people would put a hex on my child if I like announced it too early. (laughs) I was like, I don't want this. Like, I don't want anything to happen, you know? Um, But I see people now who post in utero, all these videos and stuff. And I'm like, my God, but like, what happens if God forbid something were to happen, right? Like, how do you then explain that? I know me, I'm a very strong person, but I don't think I'm that strong where I could 
open up about that right away. And I'd have to process that emotion and that loss or whatever it may be if there was some sort of weird diagnosis, you know. So I think that that's where things get really tricky. And that's the the line of of what do you do, you know. Yeah, I don't know. No, I always get very nervous when someone tells me they're like, I'm five weeks pregnant. I'm like, la, 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 la. nope, I don't want to hear wanna it. Just, I, I yeah. get very nervous. Um, so I definitely understand that. But I want to, you know, just for any listeners or viewers that don't yeah. know your story, before yeah. we kind of get into your journey into motherhood and getting off sure. of your medication and having a pregnancy while also managing um, symptoms of bipolar one disorder, uh, do you feel that there is an element of being such an open book now because you spent such a, you know, significant part of your journey having to be a closed book once you finally understood more about who you were? Because you were, it wasn't until your early 20s when you were finally diagnosed. Right. And and then I know just from you and I speaking, um, what you were asked to do with that diagnosis. But before that, can you just share with our listeners a little bit sure. about what your experience um, was leading up to being diagnosed with bipolar one disorder? Right. Well, it's really cool that I get to share this. So first of all, thank you. Because, you know, even with close friends, it's it's a topic where even you said on, on my podcast, you were like, these are questions that I would be almost nervous to ask someone, even as a friend, because it is such a sensitive, vulnerable subject. Um, for me, I was diagnosed when I was in my early 20s with bipolar one disorder. I had many symptoms starting from when I was two years old. I used to, out of nowhere, just bang my head against the wall and not in a temper tantrum way, which I now am aware being a mom, how, you know, learning all these cues and all this stuff. It was more truly just out of nowhere, I would be the happiest baby and a frustration would come for no reason. And I would just do something out of harm because I didn't know how to react. Um, when I was five years old, I couldn't cross thresholds, which means I couldn't go from one side of the doorway to the other side of the doorway because I was so afraid of not being better than the day before. I was such a perfectionist and I had such frustrations. Um, so I would rather not attempt anything than fail. Um, and then when I was 15, I had, um, um, I tried to drive off Mulholland in a frustration of rage, which would later on talking to therapists and, and getting it out, you know, was my way of like an attempted suicide, which was not planned. And the reason why this happened was because I was misdiagnosed. And that's why I, I started to t share my story because I don't want anyone else to be misdiagnosed. When you live with bipolar disorder, if you are given just antidepressants, it makes your highs higher and your lows lower, where you do have suicidal ideations and you do have these even more extreme bursts of outrage, um, which I never had those thoughts before. So that's how I knew something was wrong. Um, Mix it. Were you with, able to share someone, share with someone that you were having these thoughts, or was the car accident the kind of the first? No, because it came just out of nowhere. Like it wasn't. It I wasn't having premeditated thoughts. It just I was just rage, and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live anymore. And it would be a snap like that, and it wasn't 
the the depressing sitting at home. I was not ruminating my thoughts. I was very action oriented, which was almost scarier, right? Because no one knew, not even me, that that's what was going on with my life. Um, and I eventually got off the antidepressants and then wasn't on anything because my symptoms in quote, out of quote, were getting better. Um, and then a uh, joke was on me because in my 20s, then I started really having hardcore panic attacks, anxiety, bursts of outrage, um, all sorts of things. And what was interesting is when I was diagnosed, I was on this show called Caprica, but I never had an outburst on set. Um, I know that's not the case for everyone. I don't know why for me, when I'm working, my mind feels at peace, which it's crazy because that's not usually the case. <laughs> it usually feels like ah, all over the place. But I feel like there was something about being on set where I was not not trying to create problems. I was not, you know, taking out my own. How old were you when you were first on a set? Oh, God, I was nine. I was nine. My first, you know, I, I had done um, a talk show in San Francisco up north where I'm originally from, from, let's see, eight to 11. And I was the host of a kids club where we would interview people in between um, cartoons. So I interviewed the mayor and like the San Jose sharks and uh, the sea world people. Um, very cute. Um, but really my true like first onset, I would say was I was in a movie called Lost and Found with David Spade. And I had one scene and I was like, I've made it because I was such a fan of SNL. Uh, and I got to say really naughty things to him. And it was very funny now to look back. at. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had started at such a young age at nine where truly like I didn't know any different. Like you go on set, you're professional and then you get off and then that's your life. You know, I, I was living this like do dual life. And I think also because I was not, you know, I, I will use the example of like Lindsay Lohan, where I like blew up at nine years old, you know what I mean? And everything was like crazy. And I lived this wild life. I truly feel like I had a normal life because I did go to school. I did have friends mm -hmm. that were not just in the business. You know, I, I had two separate entities. It was like, this is my job. And then I have another job and that's called school. Um, so it was a little bit of, of, of both, but, um, but yeah, when I was, when I was in my twenties, like that's when I was diagnosed from actually an acupuncturist, um, who said to me, you know, I, I work with a lot of clients who have your symptoms and feel kind of the way that you feel and that are in the industry and that are creative types. Has anyone said to you, you possibly could be living with bipolar disorder? I had never heard that before. Um, and when I went to a new psychiatrist, uh, he said, of course, you know, yes, you do. You know, you're living with this and um, gave me a diagnosis, gave me medication. And I had finally a sense of relief because I always knew there was something wrong, but I never knew what it was. And I was so untrustworthy of doctors. Um, so I think the fact now looking back at it, that it came from, you know, such a holistic approach really made me feel even that much more relief because I felt I was hurt. I was not just a patient that was getting given medication just because, you know, and that's how I had felt for years before.
which you would think would be such a relief when you finally go into this safe workplace and you're like, yeah. I, I know what's going on with me now. Yeah, yeah. It's okay, guys. It's just bipolar one disorder. <laughs> yeah, just that and little thing. Be, just that. <laughs> um, but the fact that, and the fact that even now it is still such a taboo conversation, which yeah. we'll get into when we start talking about your pregnancy. Uh, but even at that time, that was not a safe thing to say in a kind of corporate workplace. No, it wasn't no. invited to be like, oh, great. Thank you for letting us know. No, because I mean, the thing is, is if I was diagnosed with diabetes, right, or if I was diagnosed with cancer or something and I was on a set, they would be, oh, my God, what can we do? How can we help? You know, and, you know, I I, I had told a few people of my diagnosis and I was actually quite excited about it because I was like, oh, wow, now I know what's actually going on, <laughs> you know, yeah. and they said, don't tell anyone, you know, you don't want to be labeled as a crazy person. You don't want to be labeled as difficult or hard to work with, or, you know, the, at the time it was, you know, Britney Spears shaving her head. Oh, she's living with bipolar disorder. We don't want that, you know? And I was like, well, I'm not really there, um, but things, um, you know, and so I, I kept it quiet and I only, you know, had told a few friends and um, the relationship that I was in at the time. And what I learned is, you know, maybe don't say your mental health issues when you're in a really terrible relationships, because they will use that against you as the excuse for everything as to why they're the problem um, is always your fault, you know, so that's my word of advice. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was it's still, you know, now I feel like this since COVID, things have changed about mental health and people are honoring people for taking mental health breaks. You know, like Tom Holland was like, I need to take a mental health break from social media or something. And everyone's like, oh, round of applause. And I was like, if I did that, they would have been like, girl, get to work, get your ass in gear. Like there is stuff going on. You know, there is no excuse, you know. Um, so, yes, times are changing, but there is still other stigmas around mental health. And I also want to say, I think there's a difference between taking a mental health break and living with a mental illness. That mental illness is still stigmatized. And I think that that's where the difference is, is still there, you know? Do you, what do you feel like if, and like a general person in society, when they hear bipolar one disorder, yeah. where do you think their mind goes of what the, a picture of that looks like? Double personality. Yeah, I think that people are, I think that's a lot of the problem too, is people are not aware of what the diagnosis is. They hear bipolar, they think, you know, two personalities, they think split personality, um, very different diagnosis, like by, by leaps and bounds. Um, and um, not to say that one is worse or better than the other, you know, it's just, I think people are not aware of definitions because they're not taught about it in school. And I guess mm -hmm. like, why would you be taught about that in school? But you know, if it's, if it's, if someone in your class is living with that, it's better to know what it is opposed to not know what it is, you know? So I think maybe, you know, teachers or counselors or something can, can, maybe have an open dialogue about it. You know, I hear still a lot of the time people be like, oh my God, the weather is so bipolar. And I was like, well, it's not really what it means, but you know, I'm like, okay. You know, so I think when, when people are, are misinformed of what the definition is, your mind can just go, you know, in a totally different place of what something could be, you know? And also I think the, the word 
bipolar disorder, along with schizophrenia, for instance, like people think, oh, Looney Tunes, like they must be in a mental asylum, you know? And it's like, no, it's like not that big of a deal for some people. For some people, it's just so low and, and you know, just they're, they're the only ones that see it. Other people don't. Mm-hmm. Do you think if the stigma began to be removed even more from the way society views mental illness, that anyone suffering with mental illness would actually be able to lean more confidently in a bunch of different measures on how to be able to uh, live with their mental illness in a healthier way? Like, because sure. I feel like then all of a sudden medication gets stigmatized and, and then different, more holistic, um, you know, routines also then get stigmatized. And, and it just becomes this kind of secret thing. I mean, did you when you were asked to not share with people mm-hmm. about your bipolar one disorder, did you then, like, did that exacerbate, exacer, exacerbate? Is that the word? <laughs> I'm like, it sounds so naughty. <laughs> um, did See, that- this is what happens. I bring <laughs> the naughty out of the host. <laughs> did you masturbate? No, um, did you, <laughs> when you were asked to keep your diagnosis to yourself, yeah. did it all of a sudden make, uh, make it worse, more anxious, make it worse. Thank yeah. you. Exactly. Yeah. No, totally. You know, it didn't make it worse. I think that I, I didn't know. I, I, I'll say this when it came to, to work, I was just taught, you know, you, keep your head down and you be professional and you just do your job. So it wasn't that far off that I couldn't share with people. But I also was very nervous that if I was having a panic attack or if I was having anxiety or something was going on, that people would think that I was on drugs, you know, that that was my behavior was like off, you know, I also have a lot of trauma from school um, that I've been recently processing is that people used to always think that I was always doing cocaine, like because I was very skinny. I had a lot of energy. I never slept. And I on everything like I've never tried it before. Like I wish I was that cool and tried stuff like I, I, I didn't because I was so afraid of being out of control that that's why I was really scared of drugs was because I knew that my brain was already so messed up um, that I didn't know what what would happen if I did drugs. So I never chose to do that. But I was always accused of that. And I remember teachers sometimes saying like that rumor was starting amongst teachers and like a student had heard its teacher t- talk about it. And I just, I was so, you know, quiet and wanted to make sure that like I was not that person that was ever thought to be out of control. So for me, having that trauma from high school, being like worried that everyone thought I was on drugs, like on on sets, I never wanted people to think that anything was wrong because I had dealt with that in high school where I was like, oh, I don't want them to think that I'm like out of control and doing cocaine in the trailer. And that's why I have so much energy and I'm up. It's like, no, I'm just up and I have energy because it's naturally there. I'm in insomniac because that is part of bipolar disorder. Like that is a symptom. Um, But I didn't want to even test the field and be like, well, it's because of this, because 
are they going to believe that? You know what I mean? Are they going to believe that, that I have all of this energy and and insomnia because of my bipolar disorder? Or are they going to be like, no, she's like out at the clubs. Like I've seen pictures of her like late at night, like she's for sure doing drugs and, you know, and, or drinking and is hungover, you know? So I was so cautious and aware of all of that, that I really just kept my head down and didn't want to be that open of a book at that time. 
I would stay up for three days straight and just drive around and like, just be like buzzed and be like on it and like just wanted to drive and just like wanted to like scream in the car and let out my emotions. I never, um, a lot, a lot of the, uh, not the addiction, a lot of the, the signs of like bipolar disorder, for instance, is control. Um, so a lot of females, um, not just females, but a lot of females, what they look out for is anorexia or bulimia, because that is a sign of control where you can do that. I, for me, did not have that. I don't know if that, for what reason, why I never showed signs of that, but that would have been a very big key that they, the psychiatrist could have gone, oh, you have this, like, that's one of the checklist things, right, that they ask you, like, were you anorexic, or, you know, or are you bulimic, you know, because it's a sign of control, and a lot of girls, that's their way of doing it. For me, my control was making sure I was always early on time, got to set, like, I had weird other things that were my versions mm-hmm. of control that we're not on the checklist, um, you know, for bipolar disorder with the, with the doctors. And it's interesting because now that I'm friends with so many neuroscientists and so many psychologists and psychiatrists and stuff throughout my whole process of being this open book, um, I've learned that bipolar disorder is one of the hardest um, ones to diagnose because there are so many things on the checklist that have to like get clicked off before. Because for instance, and I, I would love to share with your audience, this is something that I've learned is when you go into a doctor's office, for instance, you know, usually you're going in there going, I'm depressed, I'm feeling terrible. Like these are, you know, I'm, I'm moody. I'm crying all the time. I can't leave bed. You're not talking about the times where you feel amazing. You're not talking about the times where you're feeling like high on life and like you're untouchable and you're so hot because there's that ego that comes with the other side of bipolar disorder where you are untouchable. Like, come at me. I'm perfect. You know, you don't go in there and say that to a doctor. You're just going in there with the with the depression side. And so what I always recommend and what I've learned is write down all of the feelings every single day. If you feel, if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling great, also write that down and let them know because that could be a key to finding another type of depression that's involved with it. Maybe bipolar disorder, some other diagnosis. Um, it's not just as simple. And so that's where the miss, you know, diagnosis comes from all the time because I went in there at 15 years old being like, I'm feeling very depressed. So I wasn't talking about how I was feeling amazing driving for three days on end, you know what I mean? Just like manic Mm -hmm. out of my mind, you know? So that's something that I really, you know, recommend to others to do if you're feeling those feels. Especially when you're dependent on a medication that you're potentially going to be put on. Right. Were you hospitalized at any time before you were given a diagnosis? I mean, how many doctors did you go through before, before? Can you even count? I can't even count the amount of doctors and not even just doctors. Like I was at hypnotist. I was at, you know, like I said, the acupuncturist, like every different type of modality. My mom made sure she figured out, she found, and she like put me in to see what would work, you know? Um, So countless, I never had to be hospitalized for a long period of time. There was a moment where I did go into a hospital, um, 
but it was not because of, I mean, now looking back at it, it was signs of bipolar disorder, but they thought it was just like physical. They thought once again, I was on drugs because I was having numbness and I was having heart palpitations and stuff, but truly it was, you know, a severe panic attack brought upon by an, a manic episode. You know, um, I also want to acknowledge that you are a young woman, which can off, often be thought of as just, oh, she's just emotional. She's hormonal. Always. You know, always. She's just she's just being a girl. Always. And and it's oh, and especially, you know, in the age of 15 to 17, they're like, oh, well, she's just mm-hmm. having hormones. Like, you know, I mean, yeah. crazy teenagers, you know, <laughs> and I have to say my mom never believed them. My mom was like, I know that there's something wrong with my daughter and I will figure oh. this out. I don't know how I'm going to figure it out, but I'm going to figure it out. You know, and then um, in your early 20s, you do figure it out. I do. And you know what it is. Yep. And is is there a moment, you know, when you're asked to not talk about it where you do feel do you start worrying about what the rest of your life will look like? Or do you all of a sudden you're kind of isolating from sharing this news with other people? Mm-hmm. You are at the precipice of adulthood and you have your whole life ahead of you, your whole career. You know, you've spoken about how you always wanted to be a mom. You know, you like you had all these dreams and thoughts yeah. for what the rest of your life would look like. And all of a sudden in your early 20s, you're told, hold on. Mm-hmm. Well, it can still look like that. But it also you're going to have you're going to have there's going to be another component that you're going to have to consider when walking through all of these chapters. Um, What was that like to were you angry? Did you make friends with, you know, bipolar disorder right away? Were you grieving things? Were you trying to reject the idea of what you thought things would look like? What was that emotional process like? I took it day by day. And I, w- there's a part of me that wishes I looked in the long, the, the future, the long run, but I didn't. And I just kind of took it day by day. And I also didn't understand how extreme the, the side effects may have been, you know, in the long term or what it really meant to be diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I didn't know one person who lived with bipolar disorder. Um, other than they would always tell me all the doctors, you know, based on my diagnosis and it being sometimes genetic, um, not sometimes mostly genetic, but it can also be triggered by other things. Um, you know, my father definitely had it, but was not diagnosed properly. And I have no relationship with my father. So that was kind of weird, you know? So like, I didn't have anyone. It was a very lonely, isolating thing. And that's why I kind of just kept it quiet and was okay with keeping it quiet because I didn't know anyone else that could maybe go with me about it, you know? And, and when I would share in relationships, some relationships were really great and supportive about it. And others, I had, you know, a guy who was cheating on me and I caught him cheating on me. And in the, the cheating conversation that he was having with this girl, he lied and said that he had broken up with me. Um, because that's what you get for being with a bipolar bitch. (laughs) I was like, wait, what? Like, we're still living together. (laughs) Ooh, <laughs> that's funny, you know, uh-huh. but, but it was one of those things where it was like, oh, wow. Like I just opened up and shared my heart with you and I have to take my medicine 10 a.m. and 10 p.m. every single day. Otherwise I feel a difference. And then you're over there, 
using it against me. Why would I ever open up about it? You know? So I think that those kinds of things were happening. So like I said, it was always day by day for me because I didn't know like who I should trust, like who I should talk to about it. Was it a big deal? Was it not a big deal? You know, I was so confused because I truly didn't know anything really about it other than Carrie Fisher, who was my idol because I was obsessed with Star Wars, which Princess Leia was also bipolar. Um, And that was the only person I had ever heard of talking about it before. Was there someone that you met then as you grew older that was also bipolar? And like, what was the turning point where you all of a sudden realized, oh, it doesn't matter who I meet in this life and in this world who tries to use this against me. I'm actually (laughs) pretty fucking awesome at taking responsibility for my heart, my soul, my body, my mind, like where a lot of people, you know, ignore their what like their health and their needs. And you're actually regimented and paying attention to yourself. And a lot of people in this world don't like what was that turning point where you realize, oh, no one gets to use this against me anymore. I think the turning point was two things. Um, The first one was when I met my husband, because I had always been in relationships. And before that, before I met him, I had said, I'm going to be single because I had come out of a very abusive relationship where that person, you know, was having the affair and using my bipolar disorder against me. And I thought the next person that I'm going to meet I am just going to be forefront in the second, you know, sentence I say to them, I'm going to let them know that I live with bipolar disorder and you either want to get on board and, or get off, you know, I don't care. So that was my first thing was, was he was the first person that I was just open about it. I didn't waste any time and he treated it like, okay, cool. Like no big deal. Like why are you even saying it? Like, all right, fine, cool. We all have our issues, you know? Um, so that was the first. And then I would say the second turning point was um, I was doing this Netflix movie called Stepsisters. And we had, I had just booked it and it was like this world where like we went to Atlanta. We were in dance rehearsal for six weeks before we started filming. And I literally had 24 hours to pack up my bag and go to Atlanta for three months. And I didn't have enough of my Lamictal, which is the medication that I was on for my bipolar disorder. So I had been on the phone with my mom during dance rehearsal. And I was like, oh my God, I need this medicine. You have to make sure the pharmacy has it. And my co-star, um, Eden Cher, Eden goes, wait, what are you like, you don't have birth control or something? Like what's going on? I was like, oh, actually like I'm bipolar and I'm on this medication called Lamictal. And she's like, wait a second. I've never met anyone either who lives with bipolar disorder. I have bipolar one disorder. And she was like, I've never told anyone and like talked about it on a set before. So that was, and, and we laugh about it now because I had to borrow some of her Lamictal, like, because mine didn't come in time. And we never recommend that, but we talk about it on my podcast. But literally, she has been such an inspiration to me because not only did I know that I had a support, I knew someone else that was going through the same exact experience as as I was, being on set, keeping it quiet, and then being able to be open about it. And which was really cool is she was my first guest on my podcast. And then she was my first guest on the rebrand of my podcast when I was pregnant because she was pregnant with twins 
living with bipolar disorder and on the same medication before me. So it was really cool to like kind of have someone who was a couple months ahead of me and learn what she did for her story, you know, of, of living with bipolar disorder and medication. So it's been really special. I, I think that I literally owe so much to Eden because I get to bounce things off her. Um, and she's been such a support just nonstop. And so from that, I felt like, oh, wow, I have support in this business, in this industry. And same goes for her. Like I've got her back in, and we've learned so much because of that, you know, and so many other people have opened up to us because of our stories talking about it. It is so wild to me that it's not like bipolar is just this like tiny, like very rare for anyone to have it like more often than not everyone knows at least someone or has or like a second degree away from someone who has experienced some form of mental illness sure and i just don't understand why for an illness where there there's even prescription commercials on tv i know this is not this is not like something that no one's ever heard of and it is still there's still such a stigma attached there's there's shame that gets attached to it Mm -hmm. and so much secrecy where is if people were able to ha- talk about it more, yeah. I just feel like there'd be such a relief and people would be able to actually find means as a way to to improve their health. And what have what kind of outpouring have you gotten from creating your podcast, whether it's family members or people who have actually, you know, discovered their own mental illness or who mm-hmm. had been living with mental illness? Is there like an email or a conversation that pops up in your head of oh, someone who gosh. felt seen by you for the first time? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like there's so many and that's what's crazy because it's like it's it's family members too. I I have a family member who was listening to the podcast and so supportive, like I'm very close to. And, um, you know, they said to me, you know, I feel like something's been going on with me, like something's up. Went to the doctor, all this stuff. It was actually in their forties diagnosed with Asperger's and which is a form of autism on the spectrum. And this was something that was figured out because they thought maybe I'm a little, because there was like outbursts all the time that they had and they never told anyone. And it was like, oh, is am I bipolar? Like I went into a doctor, like, is that what this is? And I had another friend who was a guest on my podcast who was like, I have the same sort of things that you, you know, every time I hear your podcast, like you say things and I'm like, oh, I've experienced that. And they went in and they talked on their, uh, to their therapist and their psychiatrist. And they were like, well, you don't live with bipolar disorder, but it could be A, B, and C. And so it's just about having that, whether you're like, oh, that's my diagnosis or not. It's about having the conversation to maybe bring this up to a therapist, to a psychiatrist, Mm -hmm. to a doctor to be like, I think there might be something going on. I heard on a podcast, you know, or whatever it may be. I think that's something that really helped also is I, I not on it anymore, but there was an app like during the time of COVID, like during lockdown and it was called Clubhouse and it was an audio app where you would have, you know, conversations with strangers from all over the world. And I had created um, the emotional support um, like chat room basically. And from that, I would talk about being living with bipolar disorder. And I think from there, I met 
I think it was 45 people, 45 or 50 people who were all part of this group that all lived with bipolar one disorder. And we all had so all over the world and people had very different jobs, very, everything, everyone was so different. No one was like anyone else. Yet we all had this same common frustration, this same common feeling. Um, Some were more extreme than others, but we had this bond um, that was unexplainable. And it was also this loneliness, which I, I felt during my pregnancy of, you can't explain what it feels like. You can say it in as many adjectives you possibly can, but you can't really truly explain what it feels like. Just like anyone can't explain what anyone feels like, whatever you're going through, if you share that bond with someone else. But you felt heard for the first time by multiple people. And there were so many people that were in this group that had never shared their story before or had never been open about it, you know, to other people who were living with the diagnosis. And we all just felt like this big cozy blanket because it was like, wow, like we're not alone in this world, you know? I'd imagine it would feel very lonely and especially for a disorder that brings you so high and that can also bring you so low. And, and you're just kind of reliant on, you know, the tools that you have within your own toolbox that hopefully you've been able to collect over your years from professionals or, um, or your own resources, but then also the people around you who, as much as they can be there to support, you really don't understand what you're going through and are scared for you themselves. No, no. And especially, I think that, you know, when, well, well, for, my cousin, for instance, you know what I mean? Um, like the the world that they live in is not in LA where it's like cool to like now be like mental health, you know what I mean? Mental health matters. You know, it's like, it's not talked about, it's shamed. It's, it's, there's bullying that's still involved. So the fact that I was able to have that conversation with a family member, um, and them not feel alone was really cool. You know what I mean? Right. It made me feel like, wow, I'm not alone even in my family. <laughs> That's yeah. wild. And we never would have had that conversation and it never would have gotten there if I wasn't open about it on a podcast. You know, I mean, that's crazy to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. With a microphone and lights and like, and also a foundation of listeners based off of the fact that you've had a successful career up to this point that has put you on a pedestal for people to already want to listen. Right. That's what it took in order. That's what it took. Just to have the conversations on the camera. That's what it took. Like, you know, I, I just was like, wow, like who else in my family is like going through stuff, you know? Um, Yeah. So that's what's really, I, I think that's that's something that really, really impacted me, you know, from now on going further in my life that even family can be affected. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Well, I'm so excited to also talk about one of my favorite subjects in the whole world, which is babies and pregnancy. Like I have a slight (laughs) obsession. (laughs) But you mentioned that, you know, you felt uh, so encouraged and so seen by who is now your husband Mm -hmm. um, when you first met because you were just at a point in your life where like, this is me. This is who I am. I have bipolar one disorder. However, you'd also been on medication for a period of time and really like see (laughs) from, you know, from just you and I speaking that you felt very stable at that point yeah, in your life totally. as well. And, you know, you guys got married, you, the pandemic, we all have experienced that. Um, but then when you decided to embark on something that you'd also always dreamed of, which was, you know, pregnancy and motherhood, you, you've already openly talked about and had such a beautiful um, interview in People Magazine and vulnerable interview about uh, that you were told you would have to get off your medication mm-hmm. in order to carry out a healthy and, you know, hopefully successful pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned that your partner, your husband, had never been with you during a full manic episode. He'd never been with you when you weren't on medication. And right. if I think back to, like, my experiences of being pregnant, like, <laughs> it is, <laughs> like, I'm not a rational human being. I'll just say that. That's the kindest way to put it. On top of the fact that, like, your body's changing. You just don't feel yeah. yourself. You feel like you have this alien inside of you and your body doesn't belong to you anymore. I always relate it to, like, that scene in that Tom Hanks movie where the guy's, like, gets on the boat and he's like, I'm the captain now. Like, all of a sudden, the baby oh inside God, of you is brilliant. like... I'm the captain now. (laughs) And I'm just like Tom Hanks being like, oh, shit, Um, I guess you are. And so like going into a pregnancy, where was your mind before you had even conceived a baby? Like, where was your heart? Where was your marriage? What were those conversations like? You know, I think that, well, I know our marriage, you know, was pretty great. We got married just in the backyard during COVID, during the height of the pandemic, you know, 
three months in really smart. Um, but we just kind of like did it. We were not engaged. We were just like, fuck it. Let's just go. Life is short, you know? And I think that COVID really put everything into perspective of how short life really is. And, you know, I'm in my mid thirties. I was like, I've always wanted a baby. They told me that, you know, they being all the different doctors I've gone to throughout all the years, um, not just one particular, and that it would be very difficult for me to try to conceive, A, because I'd been on birth control for so long in my life, um, and I had been off it for probably two years or three years before I got pregnant, but, but still I had that in my body since I was a kid, you know, um, and that with my bipolar medication, that it had a very high risk of not being able to not only conceive, but be able to keep the embryo alive. Um, and so, you know, and it took my mom over a year to get pregnant. So, you know, you hear all these stories, a lot of women in my side of the family and on Sturgis' side had dealt with miscarriages. So I thought, you know what, if we're going to do this, like, I'm going to start to wean myself off my medication. I had talked to my psychiatrist about this. Um, I was getting off every two weeks, 25 milligrams going down. So it took me about four months to fully be completely clean of my system. And in that And you were time, being monitored of that exactly. Well. You exactly. weren't just doing this on your own. You were being no, monitored. No, totally monitored. And in that time, Sturgis and I had made a pact that, you know, if halfway me going down into my medication, it was so bad where I had to be, you know, hospitalized, blah, 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 um, that I, you know, we would reassess that we would then talk about things. Um, and I had doctors, you know, being like, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. What are you feeling? I also wrote things down and really, I was really doing my best due diligence to make sure that I was going to be the best version I possibly could be. I also was doing other different types of modalities. Like I was doing acupuncture. I was doing, you know, anything that I possibly could, like even woo woo stuff to like make sure I was perfectly balanced and in alignment to be able to be the best version of myself for the baby. And I would say that, you know, the the most wild thing that ever happened was literally I got pregnant in the first take, um, which was bizarre. It's funny when that happens. Like, that's how it happened. And I was like, oh, wow. Whoa. Um, so everything everyone told me. So I, I, it was such a shock for us because forever I was like, it's going to take a year. It's going to take at least a year. And then I was like, oh wait, like this is happening. So when it happened that fast, that's when my anxiety even kicked in even more because I was like, it cannot be this easy. It cannot be this perfect, you know? And I, so every day, you know, it sounds like very like grim now, but I would look down and be like, I'm expecting to see blood. That was what was what was going on. Now, now talking to doctors about this, that was, you know, the the not the postpartum anxiety, the par perinatal, the during the moment, the, mm -hmm. the you know the anxiety and stress disorder that was kicking in, you know, and was perfectly normal. But I didn't know that that was normal to have that kind of stress and have that kind of anxiety. And normal discounting any mental illness totally. or previous mental health 
bouts like that is a That's just very, pregnancy. <laughs> very normal pregnancy thing. Yes, totally normal pregnancy. Just like, you know, postpartum, I, my nightmare is like, I'm going to drop the like stroller like down the hill. You know what I mean? Like these are all things that now talking to doctors, they're like, oh, that has nothing to do with bipolar disorder, honey. Yeah. That has to do with like being a mom. And I was like, oh, okay. Thanks for clarifying. Um, but it was scary because Sturgis knew, you know, even though we had gotten, I had gotten pregnant and everything, you know, was a day by day process. It was then, okay, how's it going to be now with hormones? How's everything going to change for her on a daily basis? And I would say the first trimester really was a dream. So that for me was like, oh my God, what's going on? I was not throwing up. The worst thing that happened to me was I got migraines, but I had chronic migraines before anyways. I just couldn't take the medication. So, you know, I was, I couldn't take my normal Excedrin that I would usually be taking. Um, but I was very open and honest with my doctors for my OB um, at the time was this wonderful man who actually passed away, Dr. Jay Goldberg. And the reason why I chose him as an OB was because I, he knew a lot about mental health and he was supportive about my decision to get off my medication, but it took him a while to kind of get there. But he was, he just wanted to make sure that I was being monitored and that if mm -hmm. I couldn't be truthful to him, that his eyes and ears were Sturgis. And I, I thought that that was so incredible because so many doctors that I had met with were not caring about it. You know, they were like, oh, okay, you know, eh, whatever. They never questioned me. They never, you know, which I needed, you know, I needed to be held responsible. And I never felt that with other people. I felt that with him. Like he was such an awesome doctor because of that. In the second trimester, things shifted. That was hell. Um, you know, I think it made it worse for me knowing not only other women that were pregnant at the time, um, but reading testimonials and stuff of women going, oh, second trimester is the best, especially in the apps. Like good on that there's apps, you know, that help you track and stuff. But they, there were so many false things that were not happening for me that I felt like I was a failure. For instance, one of the things they said in the second trimester is that you get the giggles out of nowhere. And they're like, you're just going to start giggling. And it's like the best feeling. And you have so much energy and like life is great. So I'm reading all these things of what should be happening on a daily basis during the second trimester. And what was really happening was I was fully manic, fully depressed, snapping out of nowhere and not like a normal, I think, hormonal snap. I was like, I, I, I didn't want to harm myself or the baby, but I didn't understand why someone couldn't take the baby out of my stomach for five minutes so I could scream and punch a wall or break a mirror like I used to do back in the day when I was not medicated. Um, to release that, that, that volcano inside of me. Um, it's like but all I that energy you had when you were a young child yeah, that no one knew what to do with. It that was no back. one knew what to do with. Like, and I was like, I don't want to do this in, for, in front of my baby, right? While my baby's inside me. But like, I need to do this. And like, I hadn't had that feeling since I was young. Um, and so- Was it scary? It Did was, you feel- like, did, did you feel like control. you could control it out of control? No, completely was out of control. Was Sturgis there to witness mm -hmm. it? Did, was he, 
able to recognize you or was he like you were unrecognizable? Unrecognizable at times. There were probably two times that I was completely unrecognizable um, where my mom was involved too. Um, and she was there and she saw it. And, you know, she was like, this is the start of a manic episode. We need to calm her down and we need to just relax and just, and I was like, just drive me around. Let's just drive, you know, cause I just needed to just get out of my head for a second. And then I was fine, but I was able to recognize it. I was able to talk to a doctor about it. It was not extreme enough where I was like, oh my God, take me into the hospital right now. But it was a hop, skip and a jump away. You know, it was on the line where really, I think if I didn't have the, the tools and the people to speak to about that kind of an episode, I would absolutely need to be put away because someone needed to help me out. The other thing that I did during the second trimester when, when this stuff started coming out is I found a therapist who was amazing, who was a couples therapist, who um, was living with bipolar disorder as well and had had children. So she knew kind of wow. what was the difference between bipolar disorder and what was the maternal hormones that were going on in the pregnancy hormones. And so she was able to have that conversation with Sturgis and be able to identify which one was which or like what we could do or different tools that we could, you know, movements that I could work on that would be safe movements, but make the energy that I was feeling inside me, that volcano release in a very safe, safe manner. Um, so that's the thing. Like I was so blessed but don't get me wrong, which is why I brought this up in the People Magazine article. This was $275 for almost $300 for less than an hour, right? You know what I mean? Because yeah. that was what it was. And, you know, my, my you know, SAG insurance that dropped me because, you know, I wasn't working that year was not paying for that. You know, so while I was blessed and lucky enough to be able to have that, I'm talking real world problems. You know, what, what happens to these other women that are going through this and they mm -hmm. can't afford that, you know what I mean? And they have to pay for their other children that they have going on. You know, there's just so many other factors going on that that's so frustrating. And that's why I wanted to talk about it because I want, I wanted doctors to hear this, that, that people are struggling and they need help. And if you don't have the income to be able to just be like, here you go. Like, I mean, we were struggling dealing with this being like, is okay, should we do this or should we do that? Well, guess what? Your mental health is the most important, especially when it comes to pregnancy. You know, you have to take care of yourself to take care of your baby. Did it get better in the third trimester? And also just to acknowledge, just for also viewers and listeners that once again, this was not your first rodeo. This was no. not like you had worked very hard to get up to this point where you recognized yep. you were unmedicated. You had already mentally and emotionally prepared for this to potentially happen and already had a support system built around you. Yep. So just to remind anyone who ever thinks about just, you know, maybe mm -hmm. just popping off the medication or just kind of winging it. That's not how Don't wing it. it. Don't wing it. Definitely make sure that you have someone that holds you accountable 
That's what I would say is the most important. Um, and write everything down or record it if you can, you know, on your phone, like videotape if you're having a problem. So then you can show it to your doctor or to a specialist um, to let them know what's going on. But, you know, the second trimester, I was just like, I can't believe that this is happening and this is what it's like. Is it ever going to get better? And it was more frustrating because every day it would be, the app would be like, today is a beautiful day. I'd be like, Fuck you. <laughs> it is today not, you know. Your papaya. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, like today your baby is the size of a peach. And you're like, yeah. is it? You know? Um, and I think another important thing that I, I did in the second trimester that made the third trimester better um was I talked to my baby. Um, I talked to her and I would like it makes me like want to cry because it was one of those things where I had learned this in my hypnobirthing class, that that's why I learned from my teacher to talk to the baby and let, you know, the baby know like mommy's feeling really frustrated today or like, I feel like I'm having a manic epi episode. This has nothing to do with you. You are wonderful. You are beautiful. You are the gift that I've always wanted. Unfortunately, mommy has like a mental illness and this has nothing to do with you. So if you hear screaming, if you hear rage, if you feel like stress or panic, or if you get really hot, this has nothing to do with you. You are wonderful. You're what I asked for. And I know that sounds like so fucking woo woo and so crazy and stupid. No, but it works. I actually did the same. I, I struggled during my second pregnancy. I found out I was mm. pregnant um, two weeks into the shutdown. And wow. so um, I was very anxious during my pregnancy. Right. And um, I also my oldest is asthmatic. So I just was very anxious at all times and uh, definitely struggled, you know, in my second trimester with what I can look back on and call like a depressive mild you know, wow. it felt significant to me um, right. I, on the de de varying degrees of what depression is. It felt yeah. significant enough where I was having multiple crying outbursts. I had a doula on speed dial that I was talking to in the middle of the night who was fantastic. I also had a therapist. So I was seeing a therapist or, or speaking to a therapist every week on the phone. I had a doula I was constantly keeping up with who was like coaching me through different meditation techniques. So there was a period of time I just remember like screaming and crying and throwing myself into the bed upstairs, refusing food and not eating and just, yeah. and you know, my partner being incredibly supportive in any way he could. But I just, it was, I just remember being in, in bathtubs, which I know everyone has different opinions about bathtubs, but you know what? I that's took the a bath every day at the time. Thank you. I know. Yeah. I would sit in that bathtub and it was it was speaking to my child and just it was apologizing yeah. and yeah. asking for grace and just and and just so in my heart like praying like I'm not I don't want to transfer these like dark negative thoughts I'm having totally. onto this baby that was my big fear yes I believe in that I believe in that I believe so in the juju much. I know yes. I like no and and just so you know and everyone can know my late Dr. Goldberg did a podcast episode where he talked about it. And he told me, you are totally fine taking hot baths. You just can't continue <laughs> the hot bath. Can't keep loading it up with hot water. Let it naturally progress down. So that's my that's key good. advice. Um, I love but, that. But, but I, I do believe in, in, you know, 
you ha- I, I didn't want to be like, oh my God, I already messed this baby up, right? Because that's what you think, mm-hmm. right? Especially as a parent, like I've already screwed the whole thing up. Like you can't start over. That's not how it really works, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think if you could just own what the issue is, what the conversation is and be open and honest and have that vulnerable conversation with your child. It's also a good practice because I find myself talking to, her name is Lady, but I feel like I find myself talking to Lady literally every day about, you know, I'm feeling super stressful today, stressed out today. And it has nothing to do with you, but like, what can we do to like work it out? What kind of feeling is, and I mean, She's nine weeks old, but I mean, I'm having this conversation with her in hopes of normalizing emotions and normalizing Mm -hmm. feelings and that it's okay to have a really bad day as long as you talk about it and you have ways that can help you cope with that, with that stress and anxiety. And what's beautiful is they do pay attention because as, as a mom who also has a six-year-old and then all of a sudden they start repeating back the things to you that you've said to them for so long where oh. I, uh, what did, oh yeah, I, oh God, I was making pasta for one kid and then a burger for my oldest and the burger, my meat thermometer must be off because the burger was raw by the time I yeah. gave it to her and cut it. <laughs> she didn't eat it. And then when I went to serve the pasta, I went to throw out the, the sauce, not realizing that the whole lid was moldy on the inside. So I was yeah. about to feed mold to my one sure. and a half year old. Thank goodness threw that out. And I just was like, oh, I just was like so frustrated. Yeah. And my six-year-old went, oh, mom, it's okay. Take a breath. We know you're doing your best. And oh my I just God, had like, stop it. That is so sweet. <laughs> and like, it was so sweet. It was so oh, just immediately just such a great kid. And then also they're listening. They they yeah. see when you do they that absorb. for them. They feel, they absorb that. And they will be a mirror and do that back for you. So even, yeah. you know, I, I think that that speaking to your child but from a place of vulnerability and grace and understanding for yourself shows them that yeah. they can do that for themselves. And if you continue to do that out of utero, in their toddlerhood, into you know their childhood, right. it's beautiful when you see that pop up within them so oh, effortlessly yeah. and to just continue to nourish that is oh, a really incredible part It makes of me so happy that, that you did the same thing and continue and you're seeing such like wonderful response like that like it's just it's just how I feel wow it means I'm it's like this is the right path you know it's just great absolutely absolutely and so you were obviously able to you know walk with your support system through your third trimester right you know your daughter's here you're nine weeks postpartum right you know are you (gasps) where are you now in this journey. I think that any person, you know, birthing person who's about to have a baby, there's so much societal um, perspectives and books. And there's just a lot of advice now on Mm -hmm. postpartum depression. Thank goodness, because that wasn't talked about for a very long time. No. Um, But did that add a whole other level of pressure that you put on yourself? Did you have a plan of when you were going to get back on your medication? you know, what, what was your game plan for, you know, the infamous fourth trimester right. that we all experienced? Completely. You know, I, I had no plan of how the medication was going to come back. I knew that I wanted to breastfeed if she was going to latch and if it was going to work, which it is right now. And then I was going to go after breastfeeding and then have the conversation of getting back on medication. Do I get back to the same 
amount that I was prescribed before? Do I do a little less? How do I balance that out? Um, I had some complications during my birth. And so for the first three weeks, I actually had to have a DNC. And it was just like, there was a lot that was going on afterwards, um, postpartum, um, that I think I was so prepared for postpartum depression. And it's not over because they also say that after you breastfeed that you can get it even if it's a year of breastfeeding. So mm-hmm. I'm not counting, you know, my 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 chickens yet. I'm like, well, they're still out there. <laughs> I'm just gonna let it go. But I will say I was so prepared and I have so many wonderful doctors because this third season, I'm oh, sorry, the fourth season of emotional support I dedicated to maternal mental health. And I made sure that every person I interviewed, it was either a mom, someone that was in that world that that I could, you know, talk to. And I had a lot of postpartum depression specialist doctors, um, someone that wrote the after birth plan, all these great things. And so I had them all lined up and they were all writing me after I gave birth and were like, we're here for you. Like, how are you feeling? Like, but how are you really? You know, all this stuff. And I was so physically drained, A, from the birth and B, from complications that I almost didn't even have, I mean, this is my thought process. I didn't even have the wherewithal to think about depression or my mind. I was so focused on how can I make sure I'm not going to die from a loss of blood right now (laughs) that I I never hit that. Um, But I have the tools and I have the the resources. And I hope that I have provided those for other moms who are listening right now that, you know, can even if this is out, you know, three years from now, they can go back and still find those doctors that are still specializing in that and that can help out and have free programs as well. Um, but I'm going to reassess everything and and get back into the 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 game after I breastfeed. And truly, only I'd say these past three weeks or four weeks, I've felt like me again. Um, It was just a lot. And so now I'm finally feeling like an adult and I'm putting myself on tape for the auditions again. (laughs) It's like, it's happening. It's like life is back to normal. Um, And I'm starting up the podcast again and, and I will go, go through with what's next. You know, I don't, think I'm having any other children, you know, that's not the plan, you know, but that's another thing that I've had doctors that are talking to me about. They're like, well, if you want another kid, you know, are you going to get back on your medication and then get off it again? You know, there's so many things that are, it's just so complicated. You know, there's no right, this is what's going to happen um, answer. Unfortunately, I wish that it was that easy, Um, but I'm going to take it all day by day. Which is what so many of us are doing in general. I and I think we've all had to learn good, you know, coming from 2020 that there is an element of taking a lot of things day by yeah. day. Um, but then there's also the element of not being defined by one thing in our lives. Um, right. And, and really what I think is so incredible, like what would you say to someone listening right now who is being told, you, you know, whether it's mental illness or mental health that like, you know, no, you, you probably wouldn't be able to do a job like that. No, you probably, you won't be able to have kids. Oh, a steady, normal relationship. Nope. Like a healthy relationship. Nope. That won't, that's not in the cards for you. You know, what would you say to them to remind them that this is not, you know, we are not defined by mental illness or mental health. It is just a part of society and it may be just a part of who we are. 
I would say that I've beaten the odds and that I had a healthy, beautiful baby. Um, and I was not on my medication and it was a struggle and it was the hardest thing that's ever happened to me, but it was fantastic. I was able to find a partner who supported me, who didn't judge me and use my mental illness against me. I have a great support system of friends, but it truly is a very lonely feeling and you are not alone. And, you know, as silly as something as Reddit is, Reddit is how I found support during my pregnancy, living with bipolar disorder. There were a lot of women that were on there that, that, were living with my diagnosis and were in the same stages of pregnancy as I was, um, feeling the same feels. Um, and just to know that you're not alone. And, you know, I also want to say, don't share it with people unless you are ready for it. Because you, no matter if you're in the public eye or not in the public eye, there's judgment in everything that we do. And sometimes the judgment with your mental health and mental illness can be a lot and it can make the word, the, the, you know, the situation even worse than it is. So be sure that you're in a place where you're strong enough to know, you know, no matter what anyone says, you cannot take me down. And I think that that's the most important. And just to find any sort of community, wherever, wherever that is, whether it's online, whether it's family, you know, and you never know how important your story is to someone else. I mean, I started talking about uh, bipolar disorder on my podcast because of a stranger that I met at a Comic-Con in Brighton, England, you know, I mean, because someone shared their story to me. And I was like, it's only fair that I share my story, you know, so we're not alone. And that's the most important. Which I think truly, if anyone is has any questions about mental illness, mental health, emotional support podcast, your podcast is so <laughs> informative. Thank Cannot you. recommend it enough. Um, okay, so something that I've been doing a little bit is kind of an icebreaker that I do at the beginning of the episodes. But since you and I know each other so well, yeah. I'm like, I kinda, it'll be more of like, like a wind down. Ooh. I got this from a writing class that I that I really loved. And, um, and it would just kind of it was like a great way to just bring everyone together. And, and uh, all right, so it's five okay. things. So I'm going to okay. ask you, what's something that you like? What's something that you know? Okay. What's something that you hate? Okay. What's something that you love? And what's a quirky little fact about you? Okay. So it starts off with what's something that you like? What's something I like? I, I like bean and rice burritos. <laughs> yes. I actually love them. Um, <laughs> okay, what's something I don't you, know how other yeah, people answer, that's but a that's fantastic. what i <laughs> Yes. What's something that you know? Um, I know that I'm not alone. What's something that you hate? Pretentiousness. Yeah, and judgment. Yes, yep. What's something that you love? Mm, well, I love burritos, but I love <laughs> my baby. Um, and I love Disneyland, and I can't wait to take her there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's perfect. And then what's a quirky little fact besides Disneyland? Because I think we, you've just uh, introduced my quirky us to that little quirky fact. fact. Okay, what's something I'm like, fun about you. What's something fun about me? Um, I, I guess it's not that quirky, but I am a black belt in Taekwondo. What? I know. Wow. So there you go. That's the quirky little go. fact about me. 
I can learn something new about friends (laughs) every day. Well, besides uh, being able to kick my ass, you truly filled my heart up by joining me today on this episode. Thank you for always sharing in your vulnerability. I think that um, you are just a beacon of light for so many that feel lost and alone in the world. So just keep Oh my gosh, I really appreciate that. And so are you. And just for allowing me to be on a platform like this and having the conversation and, and, you know, you're so open and honest and you truly are an open book. And I think that the world really appreciates that. Thanks. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. This has been a Superboom podcast hosted by me, Candace King, produced by Melissa D. Montz and Diamond Imprint Productions, post-production sound by Chris Henry, and advertisement partnerships with ACAST. <laughs>